Thank you so much for being with us. So we're going to have a little bit of a, we're going to have a different series. We just came off um, a, a big kind of campaign series called The Pursuit. Um, it's awesome. It's your first time here. I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. It was great for me. I think it was good for the church. It was just an awesome thing. It was all about marriage. Um, and we're kind of we're coming off that. And to me, that was kind of a high. Right, I just I, I I mean I studied that thing for like six months. I was ready to rock and roll with that. And when you kind of come off that, you kind of feel like you kind of go into a little bit of a lull. But here here's my heart and my mind behind the next 15 days. The next 15 days, 15 days from today, is the Sunday service that is the highly most highly attended service in the entire world, and that is Easter Sunday. All right, it's Easter Sunday. And, and if you've been following Christ for long or if you've been a believer for long, then you understand the power and the potential behind Easter Sunday, the power behind what it means, the power behind the resurrection, the power behind the cross, the salvation that kind of that comes through that and for that. But if you don't know Christ and if you don't go to church and if you haven't followed Jesus and you don't know anything about that day, then it's just another day. But here's the thing that I want us to do. I want us to turn our hearts to that day over the next 15 days. And it's going to be a little bit different, especially today, because I know that you guys got to go eat lunch, and we had a baby dedication. Everybody's thinking, is Jordan going to get up there and preach for an hour? Because we did. The baby's was good. It was, that was great and all, but, you know, is he going to, and I'm not going to, I'm not, this isn't going to be a super long message, but this is just going to be a short, um, concise message. And I want to start, my goal of today is to start turning your heart to the power and the potential of what could be 15 days from now. And I want to not so much preach a message today as I want to make a statement to you. I want to make a statement that I love my church. I love my church. And I don't just love this building, and I don't just love uh, the walls and the expansion project and the nice new shiny floors and, and the youth room and the kids' room and, and, the par- and all of this, this building. Because at the end of the day, this is just a building. These are just chairs. This is just a ceiling. This is just a floor. These are just walls. This is just a building. Without the people that are inside of it, we don't have a church. One of the most powerful scriptures uh, uh, in the entire Bible, in my opinion, is when Jesus turns around and he looks at his disciples. He turns around and he looks at his disciples and he says, guys, who do you say that I am? Or he says, who, who, who do the people out there, who do the people outside that aren't following me, who do they say that I am? And some say, listen, you know, some people, they think that you're kind of magical. They've seen you raise the dead and they've seen you do your things. They think there's something weird about you. So maybe you're one of the older prophets that's come back from the dead. Maybe you're Elijah. And, and church people just kind of let that roll off the tongue like that's not weird. Like, that's a weird statement to say. Maybe you're, you know, an old prophet raised from the dead. That's a weird statement to say, but there was something so peculiar, something so amazing, something so different about Jesus that he said, what do the rest of the people say about me? And, and, and they say, you're Elijah, you're John the Baptist, maybe, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets, and they didn't really understand who Jesus was. They just knew that something was different about Jesus. And so J- Jesus then turned to the disciples and said, okay, that's what they say about me, but what do you say about me? Who do you say that I am? And then Peter stood up and he said a statement. He said, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are exactly who you say you are. You're the Savior of the universe. You're the creator of the world. You are Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting on. You are Jesus. And then Jesus returns to him, and he makes one, in my opinion, one of the most powerful statements in all of Scripture. He turns to him, and he says, upon this rock, 
I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Now that's one of my uh, favorite scriptures. That's one of the, the, I think one of the most powerful statements of all time because Jesus Christ says, listen, on that belief, on that statement, on that truth that I am who I say I am, that I am the Messiah, that I am the Son of God, that I am the Savior of the world, that I am the one who created. I was the beginning and I was the end. I was the Alpha and I was the Omega. I've always been here and I will always be here. No, I'm not some Elijah. I'm not some other prophet, but I am Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. I am the good news to the world. I'm the one that came to to take death and make it life. I'm the one that came to take all the sin and erase it so that you can have a relationship with Christ. I came to find all the ones that are lost, all the ones that are confused, all the ones that that can't find their place in this life to show them the way and to show them the point and to show them the purpose. So I'm going to build my truth on all of this. I'm going to build my church on all of this truth that was all suctioned up into Peter's answer. Does that make sense? So he comes out and he makes this statement. He says, I am the Son of God and I am going to build my church upon this truth that you believe, Peter. And a lot, a lot of people don't understand, a lot of people don't believe, and I think that if you've been coming to church here long, you know this because I preach it all the time, and I want everybody in here to have a firm, genuine understanding of what the church is, because when I make the statement, I love my church, a lot of people in here, you thought, well, he loves Harvest Cove. Well, I do love Harvest Cove, but that's not the church I'm talking about. It's not the building I'm talking about. It's not the chairs that I'm talking about. I'm talking about Christ's church. And when he says, I will build my church, that word church there in the Greek, it means ecclesia. And all that means is it is a gathering of people together around an idea or around a movement or around the thing. And that was the movement. That was the truth, what Peter said, you are the son of God. So he says, I'm going to build a church. I'm going to build my gathering. I'm going to build a movement. And see, there's a lot of people, and this is just the thing that I kind of get fed up with. I told you this wasn't going to be a preaching as much as it was just going to be just kind of making a statement and sharing my heart to you. So this is what kind of bothers me about, about especially modern-day Christian Americans, right? Because they get up on Sundays, and they, and they have their coffee, and, and, and if, you, if you grew up Baptist, you probably listened to Charles Stanley before you got here, right? I just show of hands if you grew up Baptist and you listened to Charles Stanley before you got here. That's all right. That's what I thought. All right, I don't know what it is. He's a great communicator. All right, there's a lot. You go through the week. If you're a little bit older, Sunday morning you sleep a little. I mean, if you're a little bit younger, uh, Sunday morning you sleep a little later. But during the week, you you'll probably throw on some Matt Chandler, some Stephen Furtick, or somebody like that. Just show of hands, you got one some, a, a, a modern, new, young preacher that you just kind of like you listen to kind of during the week. Just kind of about that. I do, I do. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in that. One of the best communicators on the planet is right down the road. I wish you would stay here, listen to him online, but he's just right down the road. We don't take advantage of it that much. So, but we, all, we, have these, we have these people, and we kind of have this idea that, like, that church is just kind of something, just kind of a routine thing. We just get up, all, you know, all you, you wiser, not older, wiser, you get up in the morning, you iron your clothes, you listen to Charles Stanley, you do your thing, you get your coffee, get your breakfast, you get in the car, you, you come to church, you, you watch uh, baby dedication, you sing some songs of worship, you listen to a message, hopefully, hopefully, you know, Jordan shows up and he, he preaches something that makes me excited about life, and if he doesn't, we'll go to lunch and we'll talk about how today just wasn't his day, you know what I mean? And if it's football season, you'll leave early as soon as we start praying to go and, and make sure you catch some football, make sure you get there in time, get the Joey's in time so you get a spot. So it's just, it's just one of those things. And then if it's not football season, it's just it is what it is, and you could stay here all day and you just kind of wait till the summer so you can kind of go to the lake, and, and church was good. Church was just good. It was good. The van was good. Maybe Jordan was good. The church was good. Here's the thing. That ain't church. That ain't church. Because there's a lot of churches 
They got the same things. There's a lot of churches up and down this road. I want, I want you to understand the difference. Here's my greatest problem with the church is they don't understand their role in the world. They don't understand their role in the world. They just don't understand it. Because Jesus made a statement. He said, I am going to build my church, not your church, not my church, not the Baptist church, not the Methodist church, not the Catholic church, not the Presbyterian church, not the Pentecostal church, not the denominational church. He said, I'm going to build my church, and my church is going to be so powerful, and it's going to be so strong, and it's going to be so alive, and it's going to be so real, and there's going to be so many amazing things happening in it that not even the gates of hell itself could prevail against it. All right? Does that sound like a church you just get up slowly in the morning? Turn on some Charles Stanley, iron your clothes, hop in the car, come, enjoy it. Hopefully it feeds your knees, and then you go. That, to me, that, 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 that doesn't sound like the church he's talking about. The church it sounds like he's talking about is a movement of people who so get it that just by the nature of them getting the truth, just by them the nature of understanding what the church is built on, that there's something so different in their lives that as the world sees it, they can't help to be attracted to it. Does that make sense? There's something so special, there's something so amazing about this movement, about this thing that's going on in the church. There's something so unexplainable that the world, that the sinners, that the people who don't believe, that the atheists, that no matter where they are in life, that they see something so powerful and so amazing within this idea of the movement of the church that Jesus is going to build that they, that they just can't help to come gather with us, that they can't just help to come see what's going on. And I just want to know, because I didn't really have this experience that much in my life, not, not Jesus, not God, not what he's done. How many of us, we grew up in a church that was just so alive, that was just so on fire, that God was just moving so many things that people just could not help themselves but to come and see what in the world was going on. Because I didn't have that experience. And when I look at the 6,600 churches that close their doors every single year, I don't see that they're having that experience. And when I look at many, many people every single year who grew up in the church are leaving when they're 18 years old and they're never coming back, I don't think that they're having that experience. And when I drive up and down the road in the Bible Belt of the Southern America and there's 15,000 people within 15 square miles of this church that do not know Jesus and that do not go to church, I don't think that there's any church in this area, including ours, that is so described as that of the Bible that they just cannot help to come and to see and to know there's something different about what's going over there and I just got to come see it. And, and here's why, because we don't understand our role. Because for a long time, the church believed this. I mean, you just tell me. You don't have to raise your hand, but I mean, you just, maybe, maybe you do raise your hand. If I start to say something, you're like, yeah, that's true. For somewhere along the way, in the last 25, 50, 60 years in this country, the church has become uh, this place and this thing that kind of starts dictating what is right and what is wrong and how everybody else is going to live. And then instead of becoming like a house of prayer or, or a house where people can find the love of God or a house where people can experience the presence of God, it's become a house of the, uh, uh, the keeper of the rules, the keeper of the regulations, the keeper of the what it is, the, the keeper of, of, of if this is how you're supposed to live your life, this is how you're supposed to dress. This is how you're supposed to think. This is how you're supposed to vote. This is what it is to be a modern Christian. This is what it is. And if you're not any of these things, then we don't really want you, we don't want you to come hang out. 
Now, if that's more of your experience over the last 25 or, or 50 years, just I just want to see a show of hands. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks that. Or everybody thinks that. Okay, maybe I, I don't know. So here's my point. We don't understand our role. Somewhere along the lines, we, we started thinking that, we, that we're, we're in control of the regulation. We're in control of the rules. We're, we're in control. And now it's become our job to make sure that everybody in the world lives like we live, thinks like we think, does as we do. And it frustrates us that they don't. It frustrates us when they don't vote Republican, right? It frustrates us when they vote for Obama, right? Let's just, get, let's just be for real, right? Because Christians didn't vote for Obama. No, because we're the keeper of the rules and the regulations, and we just make up our own mind, and this is what it is, and this is what we think. And so Christians vote like this, and people think like this. But it gets, right, am I stepping on some political toes real fast? I talk about Obama because he's over with. He's done. The way the debates are going, I'm kind of like, maybe we should just hang out to Obama for a little while. Because I'm not seeing anybody on either side of the aisle. That's what I'm ready to follow. I'm t- oh, you're going to clap? Okay. <laughs> up there. Both sides of it, man. So dumb. Immature children up there. I'm like, that is, one of you guys is going to be the leader of the free world. And did you ever think on, in, in, in the world that we'd have Hillary Clinton and the reality TV star Donald Trump running for president? I asked my great-grandmother, I said, Mama, I said, in your entire life, did you ever think that this was going to be reality? Without hesitation, no. <laughs> did not think that was going to be. But that's what's going to happen to our country. All right? I don't care who you vote for. Here's my point, is it doesn't matter. Because if the church understands its role, it doesn't matter who the president is. If the church understands its role... It really does. I know it makes us mad, and I know you get all bent out of shape, and I know you explode on Facebook because that's what you're supposed to do as a good Christian. (laughs) But here's the thing. It doesn't matter what laws they change. It doesn't matter what they legalize and what they don't legalize. It just doesn't matter if the church knows its role. I'm going to tell you what the role of the church is. The role of the church... It's to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Period. To share the good news of Jesus Christ. Period. Not to share the good news of Jesus Christ and be a Republican. Not to share the good news of Jesus Christ and be a Democrat. Not to share the good news of Jesus Christ and dress like this. Not to share the good news of Jesus Christ and think like this and talk like this and act like this and say this. To share the good news of Jesus Christ. Period. See, I have this theory. I have this theory as to why people don't come to church. Because they don't want to. Because they don't like it. Because they look into the modern church and they don't see good news. They don't see good news. They see religion, and they see rules, and they see regulations, but somewhere along the way, we forgot the good news. What about the gospel? I'm about to make somebody feel dumb. Do you know what the gospel stands for? I had a guy say that. I said, we're about the good news. No, we're not about the good news. We're about the gospel. Dude, didn't you go to seminary? 
What's the gospel mean? It's the gospel. The gospel means what? The good news. So Jesus said, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, thank you for letting me rant and rave just for a minute. Because here's my desire for this church. Here's why I love this church, my church, our church, Harvest Cove. Because I do believe foundationally we believe this in our hearts and our minds. I believe foundationally that we, our, our vision and mission, if you didn't know what it is, to create atmospheres where all people can find life in Christ. And I think that we get that. I think that we know in our hearts and our minds that that is the point. We create atmospheres where all people can find life in Christ, filled with the good news of Jesus. And so I want to challenge you. I want, I want us to look at something. We're going we're to look at a little scripture. All right, it's, it's in the first chapter of one of the Gospels, one of the good news books. And I just want, I just want, we're just going to look at it and we're just going to kind of teach through it. And I want to point out some things that I think will allow us to begin to operate more like that church that hell can't stop and less like the church that closes the doors. All right, can we do that with me? Before we do that, I'm going to pray really fast. God, I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit rest in this house, God. I pray, Father, as we go through uh, this short scripture, Father God, that you will just open up the truth that is in it, Father. I pray, Lord, that you will uh, just put your hands on every single person in this room, open up our hearts and our minds to you completely, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you will just let us understand what our role is in this culture, in this society, and in this town, God. I pray, Lord, that you will use us as you change the world. In your holy and your precious name, amen. So I'm going to kind of set the scenario real fast. So John the Baptist, all right, John the Baptist shows up. He's one of the first ones. He's making the way. He's paving the way for Jesus Christ to come in, um, and he's going down to the rivers, and he bas- he's baptizing people. That's why his name is John the Baptist, because he's baptizing people, and he's, he's telling people there's a Messiah that's coming, there's a Savior that's coming. He's clearing the way for Jesus, and all of a sudden, one day, Jesus shows up, and he says, listen, there's Jesus. And he tells everybody, this is the man, uh, this is the man we were waiting on. This is, this is the guy. This is him. This is the Savior. This is, this is the Creator. And so that's kind of the scenario is Jesus kind of showing up, and then, and then this is kind of the conversation that takes place. And I want you to just, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn here really fast. It's in John. I want you to turn in chapter 1. I want you to turn here, and I just want us to read through this. And if, you, if you've read the Bible at all, you've probably read this a hundred times. There's some things I just want to point out that I think that are absolutely amazing. So here we go. This is John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John, this is the day after John says, uh, God's the Messiah is coming. The next day... John was there again with his two, two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So I, want you, I want you to highlight heard right there. I want you to just think about this for a second. So, so the, these two guys, they're kind of following around John. They're doing their thing. Then John says, look, the Lamb of God. Look, the Savior of the world. Look, the sacrifice of God. This is, he just points out all the incumbents of who Jesus Christ was, the sacrifice, the forgiveness of sins, the good news of Christ, all in this one statement. He says, look, there's the Lamb of God. Look, that's the good news. Look, that's the thing. And then these two guys, and we don't know who these two guys are yet, but I'll tell you, one of them's Andrew, all right? And that's one of them. So he says, Andrew, they're walking, they hear him say something that's so amazing they hear something that is so amazing about this guy, Jesus Christ, that they turn from what they're doing and they what? They begin to follow Jesus. 
Right, in Romans, this is something that, that Paul writes. He says that the power of the gospel is within the hearing of his word, meaning that every salvation that happens, happens. It takes place because somebody somewhere spoke the gospel out loud. They heard it, and then they gave their lives to Christ. So there's this power in the gospel and hearing. And so there's something that John says. He says it's something so amazing. He says something so spectacular. He says something so out of this world about this man Jesus that it causes two human beings to turn from what they were doing to start to follow after Jesus to see what this guy was all about. Does that make sense? Now, I know this thing, I know everybody's like, you got to go to school and you have to be deep and theological, or you could just read the Bible and see how simple it really is. Why did these two individuals begin to walk after Jesus? Because they heard somebody say something that was so amazing about them that they could not help themselves but to turn and to follow. So I have a question for you. When is the last time that you said something so amazing, so out of this world, so spectacular about the good news of Jesus Christ that it caused somebody to stop what they were doing and turn their heart towards Jesus just to see if that thing is true? Think about it. Now, I'd love to see a show of hands. When's the last time that you got on Facebook or you got on Twitter or you had a conversation and you talked about something that was out of this world amazing about anything else? When was the last time you used your words and you used the power of conversation and you used social media to promote anything else? I've seen you guys promoting politics all week long. I love it. That's why I called you guys out on it earlier. Right? We, will, we will use every ounce of ourselves to promote the world, to promote the culture, to promote a belief, to promote some movement in downtown Lincolnton, to promote a politician. We'll use time, effort, and resources to promote every other thing in this world. But it amazes me how many Christians and followers of Christ don't use any of their effort or any of their resources or any of their energy to promote the one that they believe is the one that saved them from the pits of hell and opened up a relationship with the God who created the world. Now think about that just for a second. Think about that just for a second. You will promote a band or a politician or a movement of some nothingness and you will not promote the Savior of the universe. Think about that. I just thought I'd throw that out there. The next day, John was there again. Go back. The next day, John was there again with the two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, teacher, where are you staying? So I want you to understand this. They heard something amazing about Christ, enough that it turned them and said, maybe there's something about this guy. They turn their hearts and their minds and they begin to follow Jesus. And Jesus sees as they turn to them, Jesus turns back to them and engages them when they turn to him. Does that make sense? So John says something amazing about Jesus, so amazing that it makes them turn towards Jesus. Jesus turns towards them and says, what do you guys want? And they said, can we just come hang out with you for a while? And Jesus says, come on. I just think, that's, I just think Jesus is cool like that. Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Go to the next. Andrew, told you it was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, and you will be called 
Peter. So I want to walk you through this really fast. So Andrew hears something crazy awesome about this guy named Jesus. So awesome, in fact, that he's going to turn, him and his buddy are going to turn and kind of follow after Jesus. Jesus in which engages Andrew. And then he hangs out with Jesus in just the afternoon. And he finds during the afternoon, he realizes the power of Jesus Christ, the presence of God. He realizes he is who he said he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the creator of the world. And the first thing he does is goes and gets his brother and tells him all about Jesus. And didn't just tell him, but then brought him to the feet of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you something. You guys may not think this is too exciting. You may not, not see the power in this, and you, you may not think this isn't deep, this isn't theological, but I'm telling you right now, this is one of the greatest, this is the greatest strategy in the existence of the world for the church. When you experience the presence of God and it changes your heart and your life, and you go and you tell somebody about what God has done in your life, and then you bring them to the feet of Jesus, Jesus does the rest of the work. But somewhere along the line, we forgot that this was our role. It is our role to go and tell the world about Jesus, and then to bring the world to the feet of Jesus, and Jesus does the saving. But somewhere along the lines, as, as simple as it sounds, and as boring as, as it may be to think about, how many lives hinge, how many souls weigh in the balance of an invitation from somebody who knows Jesus? I just want you to think about that. It all started, Andrew heard a thing. Andrew turned and followed John, spent time with Jesus, experienced the presence of a holy living God. And the first thing he did was went get his brother and bring him to Jesus. And so I want to I make this statement to you, and I want you to understand this, because I, I, need, I need my church to understand the power of this statement. You have within you the greatest news that anyone on this planet will ever hear. And it could be that they will never hear it if you don't tell them. See, we've got this mentality in the church where it's come and, come and be served. And Christ's mentality of the church was gather together in my name and then go and spread the good news of Christ. What was the la one of the last things that Jesus Christ ever said on this planet? Go. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all my ways that I've taught you. So I'm going to ask you, my church, my, my church, HC3, Harvest Cove, I'm asking you, when was the last time you recognized the power of the good news in your life and shared it with someone else? And here's the thing that I want to make a statement to you. Taylor, you can go ahead and come up here. Here's a statement I, I want to make to you, and I want you to understand this. You have experienced good news in your life. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have experienced good news in your life. You were at one point lost, and now you're found. 
You were at one point dead in sin, and now you are alive in Christ. You were at one point so lost and so confused, you didn't even know what in the world this life was for, but now you have found purpose in Jesus Christ. You were once so dissatisfied and so discontented with this world, you didn't know what was next, but now you have found contentment and peace and unity in Jesus Christ. There's a lot of you in this room because I've talked to you. I know that your marriage was about two seconds away from divorce. And at the last second, God stepped in and did his thing in your life, saved your marriage, and put it back on solid ground. I know that because I've talked to you. I know that there, there, there is people in this room. You have gone through tragedies in this life. You have gone through losses in this life. I have heard from my very own people say, I would have never made it through if it wasn't for my relationship with Jesus Christ. I would have never been able to push through if it wasn't for the word of God. I would have never been able to make it if it wasn't for my prayer life. I would have never been able to get it. God just spoke right through the message to me during that season of my life, and I never would have been able to make it through if it wasn't for God speaking through the messages. I've heard you say, I've had days and days and days of sorrow and stress and frustration. And then I come in here on Sunday mornings and I lift my hands and I worship with the fellow believers and I feel the presence of God and all the stress and all the frustration and all the anxiety that the culture in this world brings on me just washes away in the presence of a living God. I've heard you say that. I've heard you say and admit that you've experienced the good news of Jesus Christ. I've heard you. And you know you have. You're excited to come and worship. You're excited to come and hear the messages. You're excited for all of the good news of Jesus Christ. And here's the statement that I want to make to you. That good news gives you the ability to respond to other people who are in need of the same good news. Because you have experienced the good news of Christ, you have the ability to respond to those who need the good news of Christ. Do you know what the ability to respond is? Responsibility. Because God has moved in your marriage, you have a responsibility to share the good news in the lives and the marriages of other people. Because God has saved you and taken you from death to life, you have a responsibility to go out to those who are dead in the world and share the life of Christ with them. You have a responsibility. That is your role in this life. It is not simply to receive the good news of Christ, but to receive the good news of Christ and share the good news of Christ because this world is in desperate need of it. You have the ability to respond, so therefore you have the responsibility. That is the role of the church. Not just to come and see, but to come and take in and then pour out into this world. Why would you? Why would you know the power of worship? Why would you know the power of prayer? Why would you know the power and the sweetness and the peace of the presence of God? Why would you know the wisdom and the power of the word of God? Why would you know it and take it and never share it with the people around you? Why? Why? I heard a story just the other day. I was reading a book. And this gripped my soul. There was an atheist who was arguing with a preacher. And he said, why don't you believe in God? And they were going through this whole, this whole, this all this thing. And he got down to the end. And this was the finalizing statement that he made to the preacher. And the preacher shut his mouth because he couldn't speak to this. And he said, you talk about love all the time, talking to the preacher. You talk about love of Jesus. You talk about love of Christ. You talk about loving people. You talk about that all the time. And he said, let me tell you why I don't buy it. 
You talk about love. He said, but isn't it the truest definition of hate to know that there is a genuine real hell out there somewhere, but you won't tell your neighbor about it? That's why I don't buy Christ. That's why I don't buy the Christian church. That's why I don't buy it. Because you talk about love and you talk about hell and you talk about heaven. He said, but at the end of the day, what level of hate is it that you know the answer to everything they need, but you don't share it with them? Think about that. Grip my soul. Here's a few things I want you to recognize up front. I want you to get this. The greatest investment you will ever make in somebody begins with an invitation. I'm not asking you to become a church who saves people because you can't save people. I'm asking you to become a church who invites people to the feet of Jesus Christ who can save them. If you've gone through marriage issues in your life and God has moved in your marriage and and put you on solid ground, I'm asking you to seek out marriages who are in need of Christ and bring them to the feet of Christ who can save their marriages. If you've walked through drug issues and God has, has moved and restored you, And that good news that exists in your life, that freedom that exists in your life, I am asking you, because God has moved in your life like that, to seek out others who are in need of that same freeing spirit of God. And if you're a believer in this room and you know in your heart and your mind that you were once dead to sin, lost to hell forever, and you were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and now you're experiencing life and purpose, not just life, but an abundant life that God has sent, and you've experienced a calling, I'm asking you to reach out to those who are looking, who are searching, who are in desperate need of Christ, and share with them the good news, and invite them into the house of God, that they can experience the presence of a living, saving Jesus. I'm not asking you to become a church who saves, I'm asking you to become a church who invites them to the one who can save. I'm asking you to step into your role as the church. Because there's two things that you don't know. I think this is so awesome. You don't know when. You don't know when that next invitation or that next conversation. You don't know when that person or when God is going to move in that person's life because of your investment. A couple weeks ago in Discover Harvest. Discover Harvest is thing we do a couple times a month where I just sit down and meet with new people and they get to know me and I get to know them. It's really awesome. If you've never done it, you should do it. But we're sitting in Discover Harvest and this lady begins to talk to me. And I just and I, and it was just one of those gripping moments for me. It was just a revealing moment in my life. And she starts to talk about, uh, she said, two years ago, she said, there was, this, there was this man that came to my door. And he knocked on my door and he handed me a Harvest Cove card. And, and he said, and she said, and it was just, it was just one of those things. And he just, it was just, I, he was a nice man and, and it was good. And I put the card down. I didn't think much about it. She said, two years later, I was going through a very bad season of my life. And uh, my marriage seemed to be kind of just falling apart and I didn't have anywhere to go. And, and I, all of a sudden I remembered the man and I remembered the card and I remembered the church. And so end of last year, she came because of that invitation. She had a moment with God that changed her life forever. She gave her life to Christ in that moment. She's been back every week. She's annoys people every week talking about how good the church is and how awesome God is. By her own accord, she said that. And for me, it was just something that was special. I just thought I'd share this with the church family. That man was Ron Dival. Ron is no longer with us. But because of an investment that Ron made in his life years before his death, one more woman, because of an investment that he made, came to know Jesus Christ. You never know 
when a knock on the door, you never know when a conversation at a gas pump, you never know uh, when you're hanging out with your cashier as she's putting your uh, groceries in your car, you never know as you're paying for your fast food, you never know when that one little invitation, when that, that one little conversation, that one little handing of a card, you never know when God is going to change somebody's world with that invitation. You never know. You never know when. You never know when. We should be a church that just consistently and constantly is inviting people into the presence of God. You don't have to do it weird. You just say, hey, listen, church is awesome. You should come hang out with me on Sunday, 1030. Don't be like, God's going to change your life forever. Just say, God's really moved in my life. God's really spoke to me through the messages. God's just really revealed himself during the worship. I just think it would be awesome for your life if you just come come and hung out with me. You never know. And here's the, here's the thing, and this is the thing I think that is just, I want everybody to pay attention to. So Andrew, here's this thing that John says, starts to follow Jesus, goes after Jesus, spends some time with Jesus, and immediately goes and gets Simon, his brother. And when Jesus talks to Simon and Simon shows up, he says, you are Simon, son of Jonah, but you will be called Peter. And if you know anything about the Bible, you know that Peter was the first preacher. You know that Peter was the the one who preached the message where 3,000 people were saved instantly. You know that Peter was the one that was basically one of the greatest foundations of the church. He was one of the greatest movers of Christ. So here's my thing is, you never know when that person that you're communicating with, that person that you're inviting is going to be the next Peter. Because Andrew didn't know. Andrew thought it was Simon. Andrew didn't know that his brother was going to go on to be one of the greatest parts of this movement that changed the face of the world forever. He just didn't know. And you don't know. Do you think that Sunday school teacher who who talked to Billy Graham knew Billy Graham was going to grow up and preach to millions and millions of people? He didn't know. So you never know the part that you could play in the movement of Jesus Christ. You never know. But I'm going to make you a promise. If you understand your role is to recognize the good news of Jesus Christ in your life and then to share it with the world, I promise you, we will see a movement that the whole world talks about. At any point in time in history, when a group of people begin to recognize that their role is to share the good news with Jesus Christ and to invite people to the feet of Jesus, at any point in time in history, when a group of people have truly understood that and truly moved in that direction, God has brought down heaven on earth every single time. So I'm inviting you guys to invite other people to church. Not because we want to fill the seats. Look around. The seats are filled. You know how much money we've ever spent on marketing? Zero dollars. Why? Why are you here? Because somebody invited you. For the 47 people that gave their life to Christ last year, they weren't Googling us. Somebody invited them. That's powerful. So I had this thought. I said, what happened if we took 15 days, just 15 days, and we decided for 15 days we were going to step in as the role of the church? Just for 15 days. 15 days from today is Easter Sunday. What if we decided just for 15 days to be the role of the church? This is something the Lord laid on my heart, and I'm going to invite you to be a part of it. I'm going to challenge you to be a part of it. It's something I'm calling 15 and 1, 15 and 1. 15 and 1, 15 and 1. Here it is. 
I'm challenging you to step into your role as the church and invite 15 people to church. That's one a day for 15 days to our Easter service 15 days from now. I'm inviting you to invite 15 people and bring one. Bring one person. Because Andrew didn't just tell them about Jesus. He brought him in. That means you invite 15 and you physically bring somebody. I don't care how you do it. That's up to your creativity. All right? I suggest no law breaking. But if you don't get caught, is it illegal? I don't know. But I challenge you, invite 15 people. That's one a day via Facebook, text message, phone conversation, lady at the gas station. Invite 15 people and make sure you bring one of them. 15 and 1, 15 and 1. The second 15 and 1, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to pray for 15 minutes every single day. Every single day for 15 minutes, I'm going to ask you to pray that God shows up in an amazing, out-of-this-world way on Easter Sunday. Pray 15 minutes a day. I would like all of us to do that 15 minutes within the hours of 12 and 2 in the afternoon so that we're all doing it together in unity. 15 minutes a day, if you can do it between the hours of 12 and 2, every single day, just for 15 days, I'm asking you to pray for 15 minutes. That's it. And on the Friday before Easter, I'm going to ask us all to fast for one day. Challenge you to fast for one day. Hours from 6 to 6 on that Friday before Easter. Does that make sense? 15 and 1, 15 and 1. Invite 15 people, bring one. Pray for 15 minutes a day and fast for one day on that Friday before Easter. Here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ has been saving souls for 2,000 years. He is in the business of changing people's lives. And it is about time that the church stopped making him save people's souls in spite of the way that we act and think. I'm challenging you for 15 days to align your life with Jesus Christ and to be the church and to share the good news. Probably for the first time in your life will you truly align your life with the role of Jesus Christ. Because I believe on that Easter Sunday we're going to preach a gospel message and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And it is my belief that God will save the souls of many. And why wouldn't we? Why are we so scared? Don't we understand that Jesus Christ won the war on the cross? Don't we understand that when he said it is finished, he didn't say it is finished, but I still got to deal with a few things. He said it is finished. We win, devil loses, life wins, sin loses, we win. So I'm asking us to step into the confidence of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and be the light of the world that he has called us to be, to go into the world and to invite and to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to be the church that he called us to be. Because if we can align ourselves with his role, then I truly believe we will step in every way and become the church that not even the gates of hell can prevail against. And just, I want to close with this one question. How big could Easter be for us? How many souls could be saved? How many marriages could be restored? How many people could be set free? 
Oh, I feel like we're always asking negative questions. Why don't we ask some positive ones? Why couldn't God save 100 people? Why could God not save 10,000 people? He's been saving lives for 2,000 years. God is waiting on us to be who he's called us to be. You guys will stand with me. Father God, I know that this message was different. I know that this was not the norm. But I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit and your presence rest in this house, God. I pray, Lord, that you will move this church to be who you have called us to be, God. I pray, Lord God, right now that you will raise us up, Father, that you will give us courage and boldness, Father, to invite, to pray, to fast, believing in our hearts, God that you will do the thing you've been doing for 2,000 years, and that is saving the souls of mankind. I pray, Lord, that you will raise this church up to be a light in this community, Father. I pray, Lord, that you will raise this church up to be a huge part of the thing that changes the culture of this country. I pray, Lord, that you will raise people up, God. Change our mentalities. Change our minds from being a come-and-see church, Father, to a go-and-tell church. I pray, Lord, right now that you would just let your presence rest in this house. God, be with us as we worship you, God. Bless us and let us remember we're on the winning team. We win. Christ wins. We have life. Now let's share that life with the world. In your holy and precious name.